1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I think Odell does like his teammates. He is good in the locker room. Uh, He does get along with a lot of people in the organization, and I think that he does try to be a really good person. I also think that he's also a bit immature, and I also know that he's very close with family members, and he's very close with his inner circle, and that inner circle does not want him in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard about those things during the season last year, and, and I wanted to not listen to him because I'm a big fan of Odell Beckham Jr., but I, I really felt that there was a lot of people that I was hearing that were saying, listen, man, there's, there's people around him who do not want him there, and they're going to try to force his way out of there, and that's not even Odell. Those are the people around him.
2: Four hours since we did this, more people have been scrambling to deny that Odell Beckham could possibly be traded to the point where you think even more that there's a possibility he's traded. Uh, Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports put it out there that uh, he asked a source, and they unequivocally denied. They didn't just regular deny. They denied the bleep out of this thing. And then Paul Podesta, who works for Cleveland as their chief strategy officer, which You know, we need to give Jonathan a better headline like that, a better title, like Chief Strategy Officer of the show. Um, But uh, he says that, uh, you know, he has no reason whatsoever to think that Odell Beckham could be traded. No one knows what you're talking about. It must have been space aliens, Courtney. That's who told the guy from WFAN, space aliens.
0: You know what that sounds like, the whole thing of, you know, there's no reason. To not believe that Odell Beckham will not be on the Cleveland Browns in 2020. There's no reason to believe that Stephon Diggs will not be a Minnesota Viking during yes, the 2020 season. Right. Right. No
2: reason to believe. What's it- the other
0: one? The Percy Harvin one? Uh... All intents to keep him on the team or whatever the language was that triggered people because they saw the exact same thing yep. in that statement released by Vikings ownership about Mike Zimmer. Yep. Um, yep. We have every intent to make him our head coach or to continue keeping him as our head coach. I mean, my goodness, language people. So why like crisis communications, PR people get paid so much. Anyways, where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. Someone did not just create that trade out of thin Air, the idea of the trade, the trade talks. And what what was yesterday? I've lost track of days. Yesterday was Wednesday. So late Tuesday night, I got a text that kind of made me go, hmm. And it does sound like the Vikings are cooking. Whatever that is, whatever the recipe is that they are in the process of working through, maybe it's not Odell Beckham Jr. coming to the Minnesota Vikings, but it is something. And I just find it a little interesting that that comes out yesterday Right around 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then really quickly after. Sources within the Vikings organization, sources within the Cleveland Browns organization, you see reporters uh, from from both teams, so cover both teams, and national reporters quickly shut that down as it's fake news, it's, it's unequivocally false, or whatever I heard you say that Charles Robinson called it. Um, there's a lot of language out there to say, absolutely no way in heck this is happening. But where did that come from? Someone was at least talking about the idea Of it manifesting itself. Maybe it didn't get, maybe it was put a little bit, putting too much cart before the horse there, but it was certainly verbalized in some form or fashion. Fan bloggers are one thing, and I'm not criticizing them, but this is somebody who has a radio show, somebody who clearly. For a long would,
2: time in for the long, biggest market in the country.
0: You don't just put nonsense out there right. and hope it sticks. I, I, I know that fans get irritated, um, you know, and they say, like, well, you guys are drumming up rumors and all this stuff. The whole thing yesterday about could Bill O'Brien trade Kenny Stills because an athletic reporter brought up the question in a mailbag and people are saying, oh, well, that's, you know, stirring rumors, it's rumor season, et cetera, et cetera. stuff doesn't come out of thin air. Somebody somewhere brings it up, puts it into the forefront, and then it takes off like wildfire. And I'm sorry, but it came from somewhere. It may not happen. It doesn't feel likely to happen. Sources I've spoken with told me it's absolutely no way in hell going to happen. But it came from somewhere. And so- that's what we need to focus on. Odell Beckham... Thinks, or at least, you know, from people I've spoken with that are not even with either organization. The, the thought process is that Odell Beckham does not think he's going to be a Cleveland Brown in the 2020 season. Yep. He'll be somewhere
2: else. And that was exactly what Ken Carmen said on our show uh, that Jonathan played off the top, is that uh, people close to Odell Beckham do not want him in Cleveland because they think of him as this international superstar and that is not exactly the market or the organization that's going to maximize your brand capabilities. And as gross as that sentence felt coming out of my face, um, Um, You know, it's it's true for some players that they want much more than to just be in the NFL. They want to be uh, a brand of their own. And Odell Beckham, it's one of the reasons to kind of dislike him if you're the Vikings organization, is that that's part of what he wants to be. And he's shown that he loves the attention in a number of different ways throughout his career. But to your point, uh, I've heard similar things from people that I've talked to, that uh, the Vikings are aggressive in the phone calls that they're making heading into draft night and that there is a possibility of a trade. Now, Trent Williams is the obvious one, but you know, when I saw this, from the reporter from WFAN and talk show host, I thought well yeah, I mean that makes sense to make a phone call to see what his status is and see what the price might be because you just dealt away your number one wide receiver there's a ton of pressure on everybody in the organization and yesterday I was willing to say all right, well there's a very low chance that this happens so let's have fun talking about it for a day and then the more reports that come out, no no no, deny 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 deny, it's like uh, you guys are putting up a little bit too much of a fight when it comes to this rumor, which is always a sign that you know there is truth to all rumors, as <laughs> Stefan Diggs once said. So, you know, I, I think, Courtney, you, you put it perfectly in that the chances are low. There's a lot of hurdles here and a lot of things to be considered. But if you're asking me, do I believe that somebody... Ask that question to somebody else, what would it take to get Odell Beckham out of Cleveland? Uh, I believe that probably happened.
0: Yeah, and it's probably not going to happen for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, the Vikings would need to finagle their own salary cap right Mm -hmm. now, which would include a trade uh, or moving somebody off the books. However, you're going to have to do that. The most logical way is thinking of a trade of Anthony Harris, Riley Reef, Those are the first two that come to mind considering their enormous cap hits. And if you were to do that, like, let's just think about this logically. So Odell Beckham has $14 million guaranteed, and it's all guaranteed because his base salary this year, um, comes with a $14 million, $14 or $14.25 uh, million dollar cap hit in 2020. That's expensive. So Vikings would have to move some pieces around to be able to absorb that. But also beyond that, Think about the wide receiver class that you have coming in this draft class. It's unprecedented. And I know you hate that word, too. I saw your tweet. I'll just say, <laughs> it has the chance to be as good as that old 4 Un- draft class. Where they took- was the
2: word that I didn't like. Uh, unprecedented is okay.
0: Although we've been throwing around the word unprecedented a lot lately because of Tom Brady leaving Tampa Bay and the coronavirus canceling life. That's unprecedented. I mean, two things right there, unprecedented. Uh, I'll try to find a different word for that. So when we hit the break, I'll go to... Lacking Marian precedent. Webster. Lacking precedent. Lacking <laughs> precedent. Um, It just, you know, with the draft class that you have and yep. the opportunities that you have to hit on not one but two or even maybe another three wide receivers in this draft, it's the less expensive route to go. You don't have to pay this enormous salary that Odell Beckham had gotten onto the books in Cleveland. You'd be inheriting that, and obviously he might want to – Extend it even more, I mean, down the line, you're thinking like it's not just a one year thing you have to think about future implications here yep. um to trade one receiver who was very, very good for arguably you know, a top three receiver in the NFL, that's one thing. But think about all of the baggage that comes with someone like Odell Beckham. And it's yeah. not just even the off-field stuff. Guy can't stay healthy. I'm sorry. He cannot stay healthy. Um, when you think about the leg injury that he had in 2017, he played 12 games in 2018. Last year was you know, throwing a fit on the sideline. Can you imagine a guy like that? If Stephon Diggs didn't really jive with the whole run-first mentality here and wanted to be the superstar and wanted to be the number one receiver, how do you think Odell Beckham's going to take that if he were to come to Minnesota? I'm yeah. just trying to yep. point out logic here, since you know there's truth to all rumors, well, there's truth to logic, too, in why things would or would not work, and, right. and that's where my head goes, where you have so many wonderful options ahead of you in the draft. Why would you spend the money here when there are so many other ways that if you had to make a trade, i.e. Trent Williams on draft night... Do that over this? It just it doesn't compute. It, it almost kind of feels like a non sequitur to me.
2: No, that's right. That there are so many red flags around Odell Beckham, whether it's his off the field stuff. And if I was Cleveland, I'd be looking him to, to trade him after what he did after the national championship game. I mean, Lord, Kevin Ste- yeah,
0: Kevin Stefanski's first like three days on the job, <laughs> yes. and he's dealing with a receiver who slapped the behind of a police officer and was right. also seen on camera handing out cash. I mean. I'm sorry, but this is somebody who thinks that he's bigger than the game of football and that you know football bows down to him. I can't see from a cultural standpoint, I'm not trying to crap all over this guy, but sorry, it's reality. It's out there. His personality, he's made his bed and he's had to lie in it a number of times for things that he's done off the field. I don't see Mike Zimmer wanting to put up with that. Think about the time that Mike Zimmer called Stefan Diggs a diva in that press conference. I was sitting next to you, and I was like, hmm, I don't know if that's really going to jive with Diggs if he hears that being said about him. Can you imagine what that's going to be like with Mike Zimmer and and Odell Beckham Jr. bucking <laughs> right. heads? Yeah. That seems like we're, That seems like a very, very not good situation for either parties when the stakes are as high as they've ever been for this team in 2020, especially for people trying to keep their jobs.
2: The only way I can talk in in a way that it makes sense is through the lens of our old friend Corey Vedvik and I'll explain why because when the Vikings traded a fifth round pick for a punter slash kicker who was really not good uh, it was one of those desperate panics type of moves oh my gosh we need to have this kicker or this punter so let's give up a Decent draft pick and a fifth round pick. I'm not saying that it's you know the end of the world or anything, but something that you can use to package one way or another. Or you know, Stephon Diggs comes from the fifth round, and you give him up for someone who had basically never played in the NFL before, out of sheer panic that Dan Bailey and Matt Wilde didn't look that good in training camp, and so the the sheer panic of the organization might exist to a point where you would do something like this. Um, but I still don't see it even if you are in a panicked situation trying to save your behind and ownership is pushing you to make a big trade to win this year, I still don't see this one as a great idea because of what you mentioned about the injuries and then the price tag is just so high. I mean, you would much rather sign someone like Anthony Harris to a long-term contract extension, somebody who has proven to the organization that he can you know, really play as, as one of the best at his position and is smart and is exactly who you want as a teammate and all those things that that guy is better for you than Odell Beckham but if it's out of panic we need to win now we need to get more weapons because we had to trade away digs well yeah then you know then maybe um you could see it happening but otherwise I can't make the formula add up of someone who's going to be that expensive and likely as you mentioned wants a new contract because yes. he's basically on a 1 year deal at this point um you know he has more years but they can just cut him so he's going to want more assurances why, why? do you want this? You know, why, after all those things that we laid out, when you still have a top receiver and you can definitely draft one in the first or second round, who is going to be a, likely a good player?
0: I just I know the discourse this past off season, and like you had mentioned, that there were people in Odell's circle, or I think it was your guest uh, that you had on yesterday who said they don't want him in Cleveland. Well, of course, uh, then you're looking at okay, maybe he gets traded this off season. He certainly thinks he's going to the the San Francisco. Do you remember when that popped up like a few weeks ago? That that was a potential destination for him. I kind of understood it, and I kind of didn't. And then I looked a little bit more, um, you know, just that the fact that they didn't make any moves around free agency, and that they had about fourteen million in cap space. So I was like, okay, well, maybe you think about like what he would add right away. You've got Marquise uh, Goodwin, uh, Debo Samuel. I mean, you would have your veteran established elite guy and you'd have a really good offense at that point but think about the other ways that you can address that and you know like you mentioned how expensive he would be for any team to inherit him at this point I just pulled up his contract details so he's got a 14.55 million dollar cap hit this year that's really expensive and then you know beyond that He's going to want a new deal within the next, like, go through this yep. season. He's going to, 47 million guaranteed on this current one that he had with um, the Browns. That's going to go up to 55. To 60 million. I guarantee that because he looks at himself, where he's at right now, and what he's done in his career, which, you know, that's always up for debate. I mean, I don't think there's any way you can say he's not one of the three best receivers currently playing. He certainly is. He's a lead
2: talent. Mm, but is he now or was he?
0: Are, if we're He talking, certainly
2: was, but if he is, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I think he is. I, I'm willing to put DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham Jr. in that same class.
2: Mm. Um, I mean, just last year and the, the and re- yes, the Yes, he play. was
0: a 1,000-yard receiver last year, but I also think some of the stories that I've heard about him taking himself out of that final game after he crossed 1,000 yards, that just makes me sick to my stomach yeah. uh, when I think about how would that play over in Minnesota with Mike Zimmer as your head coach. Not yeah. well. Um, look. The Vikings need to address the wide receiver position. We know that. I just... This is not the route to go. And, yeah, everybody right now is saying absolutely not, unequivocally false and fake news and all the other stuff that, mm. you know, is kind of funny. Seems like seen. a job
2: for a thesaurus.
0: Yeah, it's... um, But it's just weird to me how hard both sides are coming out saying it's not happening. Yes. Because typically when stuff like that happens... It means they're either like not in the process, or we're not ho- we're hoping that wouldn't have leaked Ooh. out yet because they were working something through it. Um,
2: Emphatically, I don't know. Uh, firmly, categorically. Have we have a ca- do we have a categorical denial of this yet? That's what we need. Someone has to categorically deny. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, flat out deny. That's another one. That's a good one. So you know, we'll see. Uh, but look, I mean. It makes a lot of sense that there would be a phone call and a discussion, at very least. Yes. So I don't like the idea, particularly. I think that there's better ways that they could approach this, especially in a great receiver draft. So we'll see if anything more comes of it. But don't be totally stunned, I mean, based on the history of categorical denials around this team when it comes to receivers, if something does happen. And that's all I I would say about it um Courtney do you want to grade a draft sim that I did
0: I I love grading draft sims you know I'm all about that
2: okay uh I so I did two draft sims where I traded down and just to see what it would look like and I'll, I'll give you the the first one that I did because it was just my first swing at it pro football focus makes it very easy to trade down they actually offer you trades to move down um so in this case I stuck with 22 But I traded back from 25 to 45, which is a ways back. But I also picked up the 76th pick from Tampa Bay and traded two later round picks along with 25. So, bottom line, I moved back from 25 to 45 and 76. And here's how this came out. I got A.J. Terrell, cornerback from Clemson.
0: Okay, that was your
2: 22nd pick. That was my 22nd pick with 45 Jordan Elliott, the interior defensive lineman from Missouri, big-time pressure guy. Um, pro Football Focus loved this draft pick. Austin Jackson at 58, the tackle from USC. K.J. Hill, the wide receiver from Ohio State at 76. And then with 89 and 132, took Darnay Holmes, corner from UCLA, and Shadiq Charles, the left tackle from LSU. Grade my trade-down draft sim.
0: Alright, I'm counting the picks. So it's it's still five or no, it's six in the top one hundred five, which I think is really good. Um, I'm all for the trade back from twenty five move because i think that you can get a wide receiver and pick up even more in the third round and second round and still be okay mm-hmm. um, i've gone through that scenario and i actually pulled some of the numbers of like you know the snaps that wide receivers in the first round how those panned out over the last five years versus guys who were taken in second and third and it's honestly um, i mean just just based off the fact of second round receivers there's been 22 of them since 2015 uh, the average number of snaps they've taken in in a given in their rookie season is 542 versus the 17 first round receivers uh, taken in the first t- taken in the first round since 15, 373. So that to me shows you that you can find value um, at the position in the second round, even in the third round. So I do yes. like that. Uh, Sadiq Charles, the one, the fifth, that's your sixth pick of the. Yeah, 132. Draft. Yep. Developmental tackle. I know that we. I think it was Eric Eager or uh, Eric Edholm that we talked to uh, specifically. Maybe even back in February when we started draft simming after the combine mm-hmm. about Charles. I think he's a good development developmental tackle. That would be like if you could get a Ben Barch there. I'd go either him. I'd go yeah. Charles. Yep. Uh, that's somebody you can kind of season for a year. Austin Jackson though at fifty eight that's good because you know the top four tackles uh, are probably going to go within like the top 20 and then it's kind of a free-for-all like I was thinking about Josh Jones the other day when I did a mock draft and I'm like hmm he's probably going to go in the early 30s should I hedge and think or you know even early 30s late 40s but I know I'm not going to pick again I should probably get him at 25 now would that be an overdraft some people might say but I think that if you can get a second round tackle the value of where that spot is at 58 that's smart um so, you I, know, I, I think the only thing that, um, I guess the only thing I would really question, again, would be Jordan Elliott. Because you said that was your 45th overall. 45th, 45th yeah, overall. It is
2: it is quite the trade down here. Yes. Um, to pick up, to try and pick up 76. So I have five picks in the top 90, which I felt pretty good about. And, you know, four picks of the top, you know, 76. Uh but that made me go down quite a bit for my second selection, and that's why I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go down that far, but Jordan Elliott was the best player on the board. Sure. And I still think, even though Mike Zimmer sort of scoffed at what you asked him at the Combine about interior Interior rush, rush, I'm sorry, they were not the same defense without Tom Johnson or Sheldon Richardson in there. They just weren't. Uh, With Shamar Steffen is a good rotational player to mix in when you need to stop the run, but he can't pressure the passer at all. So to have somebody else in there, I think would be big for them, somebody who can get after the passer and Jordan mm-hmm. Elliott is that guy and I mean, I wouldn't even be shocked considering his production and combine performance if he was taken even higher than that. So I thought I was getting a pretty good pick at 45. No,
0: I, I do like it. It's, I mean, run, run support is just like, that's like a secondary thing for him. Like, and, and I'm glad about that because if you're using a draft pick that high in a defensive tackle, he's got to be able to shoot a gap and he's got to be able to rush the passer. Yep. Um. So to me, that's a good pick. i probably give this a B plus, um, A minus, B plus, somewhere in that range. I like the trade back element because I think you got more value. Um, which late picks did you? Were they like a sixth and seventh round? Or do I care? I, I didn't
2: bother going past the fourth. Okay. I usually don't. I mean, it's great that uh, it's great fun to do that and sure. see which quarterbacks are back there, but. I mean, I'll probably do one seven-round draft sim before the draft. But aside from that, I usually only go first four because most people haven't heard of people in the seventh. Now, I'll tell you that I did another mock where I traded down just a little bit, not a ton. So
0: this is mock number two that I'm looking at now?
2: So I traded down from 22 to 33 and kept number 25. So I have 25 and 33. And people might like this more. 25, 33, 58. And then I added in the 105th pick. So I I basically traded twenty two back to get thirty three and one hundred and seven. Okay. So I got Jalen Johnson, Denzel Mims, Jordan Elliott, and Isaiah Wilson for my first four picks.
0: All right, repeat that again because I'm typing this out. Jalen, so you got the receiver that everybody likes he has a shoulder injury, but yeah, he should I be got, fine.
2: Jalen Johnson was my first pick at twenty five. I think he's a Zimmer corner, really smart guy. Sorry, like the
0: the cornerback.
2: Just yeah, I'm,
0: thinking, I'm thinking the other double J, Justin Jefferson.
2: Yeah, no, this is Jalen Johnson. There's yes, also the guy Josh with the, Jones.
0: The guy with the he he does have the shoulder injury, Jalen Johnson. But he, we had Mel Kiper on ESPN Radio on Sunday, and he mentioned the guys that he anticipated being day one picks, about four to five of them, and Johnson was one of them. So that makes sense. Yeah, twenty five. Yep.
2: Um, So then I went Denzel Mims was still there at 33, which I could totally see because there's so many receivers that might be ahead of him that you can get the receiver that you want, if that's the position you're aiming for, at 33. And then Jordan Elliott was still on the board at 58, which makes me think that I overdrafted him in the first one. But uh, I took him, and then Isaiah Wilson the tackle from Georgia, who's okay. sort of a, a developmental-type tackle. But in that case, you'd hang on to Riley Reef and then hope that Wilson could come in in 2021. And after that, you know, I mean, no great stars or anything, but I picked a guard, a defensive end, and then a safety uh, with my other three picks. But those top four, I mean, I, I just think that every time you trade down, it still looks like you didn't, but you just added another name. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there, there are so many players that could be all over the board from 20 to 40 that you could trade down and still get something you really needed.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I'm all for it. And, I mean, if you look at the the history with Rick Spielman over the last few years, um, it's been more trading down than trading up. I mean, yes, there are the instances where, you know, they traded back in to get Teddy Bridgewater and obviously the draft that had CP in it. Um, but if you can get more value... And, like you said, with the receiver position, we're not gonna see probably not gonna see seven of them fly off the board in the first round. I know that some draft analysts think that there are seven guys with first round grades. That's great, but that's probably not going to happen that last time that happened was o four and that was kind of an anomaly. um I think we'll probably see five to six so mims um potentially Michael Pittman jr kind of in that class, I would expect to go somewhere between that like mid thirties to like mid forties, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Um, I like it. I like I like that you were able to to address a developmental tackle too at eighty nine. Not somebody that you need to plug in immediately or anticipate that he's going to have to take on a big role as rookie year. That's smart. And getting a guard high up somewhere in the third round, which I think you told me you did at um, was it at eighty nine or one hundred five.
2: For which position? Tackle? The guard. The oh, the guard. Yeah, guard. Was that... 105. I got Logan smart. Stenberg, the yeah, guard I've, from I've
0: Kentucky. Yeah, I've had Kentucky. I've had in, him in a few of my mocks. Um, we know that the guard class this year just isn't the strength, so waiting until the third round I think is a smart play here. Um To be able to get somebody, I mean, Pat Elfline was a third-round prospect. They've had, you know, Drew Samia last year. They picked in the fourth round. We'll see if he really did use that redshirt year to be ready to take on a starter's role this year. But the Vikings have liked the late day two, early day three guard picks that they've had the past four years. And they've made several of them, so I could absolutely see them doing this, um, uh, you know, early on uh, in, in the draft. I would probably give this one a B. Mm-hmm. Um I like that you drafted the corner early on. I think that that's smart. Um wide receiver addressed. I mean Jordan Elliott, though. I mean that kind of makes me wonder. And, and it's different drafts draft him to draft him, but just the value for that of where you were in the first round. I probably right. shouldn't be yeah. grading you against that, but I would I don't know. To me, I think that you can address like are we comfortable addressing an edge rusher? In the third or fourth round, do we anticipate that that's going to be how they rebuild? What Everson, what they lose with Everson Griffin?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, now, it, nothing would surprise me in terms of an edge rusher if they picked one in the first round. But you know, yeah. the way that they've approached it before is let's get a bunch of guys who are really lanky and you know produce in college, or maybe they don't and, and they drop because of that. But they have a similar sort of build to them, and let's see which ones turn out. And the fact that Daniil Hunter was a third, Everson Griffin once upon a time was a fourth, um, Afadi Adenabu was a seventh, Stephen mm-hmm. Weatherly was a seventh. Like you know, they've gotten good players and developed them with Andre Patterson in some of these areas. I think you just have to sort of trust that you could figure that out, and uh, defensive end might be one of them. So let's uh, take a break. We'll come back, and we will talk with uh, Jordan Renan, who covers the New York Giants for uh, ESPN, and what are they going to do at number 4, and how can they help Daniel Jones? We will discuss when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily.
1: Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, And Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense. And that's where Federated comes in, based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more. About your local federated marketing representative. Federated insurance, it's their business to protect yours.
3: Jonathan here with the Score North. Download this download. It. Powered by MN, Game 163, the 06 Twins, the 09 Vikings, Freezy and Suter, and KG's Wolves. You can relive all of them and more this Sunday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. with a Score North or Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon right here on Score North on AM 1500. ScoreNorth.com and the free Score North mobile app, Minnesota Sports Rewind, available wherever you get your podcasts. Over at scorenorth.com right now, we've got a couple articles up relating to the Vikings and the NFL draft coming up, including Matthew Collar's piece on Antoine Winfield Jr., who joined the show on Monday. You can find the full interview of that podcast wherever you find Purple Daily Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search the Purple Daily feed, and he was on the show on Monday, as well as Judd Zolgad's article on the draft memories, part four this time, looking back at a quite forgettable draft for most Vikings fans, looking back. At the, draft, at the 05 first round for the Minnesota Vikings. So go check that out for free over at scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. PodMN is the number one source for local and on-demand Minnesota audio. Discover hundreds of unique podcasts produced right here at home. Download the PodMN app on Apple or Google Play stores. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily.
2: Jed always knows exactly what people want to read about the worst draft. Very typical uh, Zolgad (laughs) at our website, scorenorth.com. So, yes, please read about my trade down um, scenario as well as profile on Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, Now we welcome into Purple Daily, ESPN NFL Nation reporter covering the New York Giants, Jordan Ronan. Jordan, uh, first question for you is this. Do you unequivocally or categorically deny any rumors that Odell Beckham could be traded from Cleveland to Minnesota? Because everybody else in the world <laughs> seems to be doing this.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I definitely have checked on Odell throughout this uh, off season for sure, because you know he's got the giant connections. So obviously, I know a lot of people in the Odell camp, a lot of people connected to him. Uh, it Doesn't my understanding? is that throughout this offseason, the Browns have been planning as if Odell Beckham is going to be part of their roster moving forward. And I don't think that has changed to this point unless they get an offer that it really blows them away. And I don't think this a second and a fifth really blows them away. Yeah. And, no, I don't see that happening. So, yes, I
2: deny it. Vehemently deny that that's v- going to v- happen.
3: Vehemently, yes. Doesn't make great sense. Another Jordan.
2: Great job. Vehemently, I forgot about that one.
0: We've been looking for words to... uh in our, thes- in our mental go. thesaurus to try to if you mix tell. in uh, to the conversation because we're tired of hearing there you go. unequivocally denied or categorically false. Um, one thing that's not categorically false is the worst at-home draft setup uh, is Dave Gettleman. I, I'm looking at a photo right now. I believe it's the some random photo of the skyline of is that Philadelphia or New York behind him uh, in a couch. So in case he needs to take a yeah. quick snooze in the middle of the draft, he can just jump right in front of that that, a bottle of a vino, hand lotion, also on the table.
1: Well, yeah, the hand lotion is the really the you know it makes you scratch your head. But really, what gets me about that picture is the seven thousand word binder. Like, who has seven thousand word binders in today's day and age? Like, wouldn't you rather just do like Control F? <laughs> yeah, seven thousand word binder. Like, what? How? I, you know, I get upset when I have to like sift through like fifty pages. Can you imagine? A 7,000-word binder, how long it would take you to find what you're looking for?
0: No, I certainly can't. Uh, and since they pick high up, you'd like to think that their top options are going to be at the front of that binder, so he won't have to sift through all that. But let's start there, at number four. They've, been in, the, they've been in the conversation for Tua these last few weeks as the rumor mill has continued to circle. Uh, the offensive line and all of the all of the top 4 offensive linemen that should be available to them when they draft at number 4 if they do indeed decide to stay there how do you see the first round working out
1: yeah well they're not going quarterback you could erase that and the giants drafted daniel jones last year right so they're not going quarterback now what they would like to do is they would like to move down right they could still get their offensive tackle because there's four of them get more draft picks because they really only have – they have three in the top 100, right? But the third one is 99. So they really have to pick, what, 36 and 99. Okay, so they they have a long gap in between those picks. 60-pick gap right there, 60-plus-pick gap. So, yes, they want to pick up more picks. The question is, are they in the right spot? Because if somebody's going to trade up for a quarterback, right, it's most likely going to be to the Lions. It's going to be to the three spot. So the Giants aren't in the prime spot to trade. Uh, and I haven't heard really to be quite honest with you. I don't think, I haven't, I don't think this is going to be a, a draft where everyone's trading up to get those quarterbacks. I really, I just, I, the buzz hasn't been there. I haven't heard much about it. I just don't see any of these teams. That, two is just too risky for teams to do that for. There's people up and down on on uh, Herbert. I don't think he's the kind of guy that teams absolutely just fell in, fall in love with to a degree that uh, they have in the past. He, I kind of see him. His, his weakness is accuracy. So to me, like that's right up to Josh Allen. You know, right right around there. And what happened with Josh Allen? The kind of the Bills waited, got Josh Allen. So I think that's kind of where that's going. So offensive line is where the Giants would like to go. Isaiah Simmons is another major option. I think they go offensive line. The guy I've heard the most, the most connection to so far has been Tristan Wirfs.
2: You know, Jordan. Anytime. A quarterback, when they talk about accuracy, is his problem. <laughs> I was like, oh, is, is that a bad thing? That that seems like right. that's bad. It seems like that's actually really bad. Uh, it will be fascinating to see because can't well, fix that, right? No, you really can't. And it's like the main thing that you need in this particular position in football is <laughs> like uh, if a wide receiver only had one working leg or something. You know, like I think you need both of those. But anyway, so it'll be fascinating to see how the quarterbacks play out and if the Giants do get any of those phone calls. Uh, But I wanted to run something by you because it's just such a great time in our lives when we're building up and we've got all the rumors and the anonymous scouts out there. So there was a piece interviewing anonymous scouts and one of them said on Makai Becton that uh, he has him fifth among all the tackles, because he loves to cook and eat more than he loves football. Imagine an offensive lineman being criticized for loving to eat too much. That'd be you like know, that'd be like saying Courtney laugh, loves to though. talk too much. Who wants her on the show?
1: Don't <laughs> laugh though. Don't don't laugh because look, we and and I, I agree that's a stupid comments. Make I, it doesn't make any sense. But we went through this before. Do you remember Eli Apple?
2: Oh yeah. Yep.
1: Well, Eli Apple. The comment was, I don't like him. He can't cook. And at the (laughs) time, we all mocked it. We all mocked it. We thought it was stupid. Eli Apple basically had to leave New York because he wasn't ready to be a professional. Mm -hmm. He just, he he was, I don't know how to explain how he, what what was going on with Eli Apple. He was just so immature. And the things going on around him, his, his mom and his family troubles, and it all fell apart for him. And when you think back, when we thought back and we thought about it, he doesn't even know how to cook for himself, was like something like the comment. Well, that kind of made sense in retrospect. <laughs> so we mocked it at the time. But you know what? The scout that said it, I get what he was saying now. It kind of made sense. Now, I don't get what he's saying about Makai Beckton. But uh, I guess we'll see. You know what? I spoke to a lot of scouts, and we did a whole thing where we, we asked a lot of scouts, executives, everything, to rate our top four offensive linemen. And first of all, Makai Beckham was in, on all 11 ballots in the top four okay, of ours. But uh, the thing about him that people do have questions about, and I think this is probably what that scout was getting at, was he, there was a time where he wasn't in shape. Like two years ago, he didn't play that well. He was overweight. He wasn't in shape. Yeah. He got in shape this last year, played great. So what happens now when you give him millions of dollars, does he go and is he mature enough to be able to handle it and right. still work and put put in the time and put in the work? And it's a fair question to have about a guy, right? Because there was a time and it wasn't that long ago when he wasn't in shape and he wasn't in prime condition to be, a you know, a, a top 10 pick. So that's the concern with him. Now, I don't know how that, the cooking part exactly ties in, but uh, hey. Who
0: knows? <laughs> On paper, the Giants' uh, receiving core looks pretty good. I mean, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and you throw in all the dynamic abilities of Evan yeah, Ingram. Darius but Darius had
1: a great rookie year. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and, but guys can't stay healthy, or for other reasons they're suspended, mm-hmm. like Golden Tate. I mean, this is such a good draft for r- the receiver class, and, and given what you said, that the Giants don't have a whole ton of picks in the top 100, how do you think they address that position?
1: Yeah, well, lucky for them, this is what what they say, this is the deepest receiver draft some people have ever seen. Mm -hmm. Well, so in the middle rounds, you're still going to be able to get somebody that they probably value more. Like, there could be a guy that they have with a a third-round grade available in the fifth round at that position. I think that's fully possible, and that's probably the way they're going to go about it because, like you said, they have three receivers on paper. Looks good. Golden Tate, quality player. Sterling Shepard, good player. Darius Slayton, really promising, good rookie year, right? One of the top receivers as a rookie last year, and he was a fifth-round pick. so. But then you look at it and you say, Golden Tate, he's in his 30s, right? He, he's, I think, 31, 32 to 31, I think it is. Sterling Shepard, he's had injury problems, one concussion away from maybe his career being in serious jeopardy. Uh So, yeah, they definitely could use wide receiver help. But you know what? This is the thing with the Giants. You could say that, Courtney, about – almost every position except for running back like that's where this Giants team is right now they are still in a rebuilding mode so it actually that works in the draft right because anything's on the table they could pick any position it almost works
2: talking with uh, espn nfl nation giants reporter jordan ronan uh jordan how do they feel about daniel jones and especially when uh, have i got this right that joe judge won't say daniel jones's name for some reason
1: well, it's not just Daniel Jones, though. Joe Judge has yet to say any player's name. <laughs> what? Yeah, he has not said a player's name. Why? Like when we we were talking to him, like after <laughs> after we finished talking to him at the combine, I was like, just say the name, just say the words, Daniel and Jones, okay? As he's walking away, I'm like, just say Daniel and Jones.
2: <laughs> he is, he's he's uh, categorically it, denying that they have any players.
1: <laughs> look, this is like this is like one of these coach speak things. Like he's going to come in here. Look at his background. He's Bill Belichick and Nick Saban Disciple, right? That's what he is. All right? That's what you're going to get. And so to him, it's all about being a team, nobody being more important than anybody else. Oh, my nobody's gonna be guaranteed. Nobody's going to be guaranteed a starting job. I don't care if your name is Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley. That's the way I'm going to operate. So what do you give so this, that, like
2: that, like 18 months then, Jordan? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean who I does agree. this ever work I for? Totally agree. Who does this ever work it's... for? Like Matt Patricia has Snacks Harrison saying, yeah, I couldn't wait to get the hell away from the guy, and, and Darius Slay is making fun of him. Like, this never works.
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, Snacks Harrison, by the way, that was one of the least surprising things you'll ever see because he had his problems in New York as well. At the end, and that's why they weren't. They 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 were pretty willing to get rid of him. Uh, So uh, (laughs) that wasn't a surprise that that wasn't work. But you're right; these kind of things, and that's going to be the thing. Joe Judge is going to walk a tightrope here. It's going to be how willing is he willing to, how much is he willing to bend and make it work? Because it's one thing when Bill Belichick and Nick Saban do this stuff, and they stand at the front of the room and they preach this stuff like. You think Wayne Gallman thinks he's going to actually has a chance if he plays well in training camp to start over Saquon Barkley? <laughs> like, No, they all right. realize the reality, right? He knows he's not starting. Just say Saquon Barkley is my, my, my starting running back. And Daniel Jones is my quarterback. Everybody knows. But that's not the way he wants to play it, and he's going to walk that tightrope. And when Nick Saban and, and, and uh, Bill Belichick stand at the front of the room and pull that stuff, they could do it because they have the clout, right? Matt Patricia... You know, go down the list. Matt Patricia, Josh McDaniels, uh, Eric Mangini, yep, yep. Romeo Cornell. Like, if they go to the front of the room and Joe Judge and they try to pull that stuff, players are like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> right? right. Yep. He's going to be walking a very fine line in that regard. And that's really what happens with all these guys that leave that system.
0: So we think that Washington isn't going to take to uh a- Next Thursday, that they're going to stay the course and draft Chase Young because they don't want to see him. They don't want to see him fall to four and then sack whoever their quarterback is millions of times a year for the next five, six, however many years, uh, because of division play. Is there any possible scenario that you could envision that Chase Young falls to four and the Giants are able to select him, or is that boat as that ship sailed?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty much sailed. I mean, there's some crazy scenarios that you might be able to come up with where it's possible. But, I mean, somebody would have to trade a boatload to get up to number two, and then somebody would then have to trade up to number three to get uh Herbert because they get worried, and I just don't see it happening. But you know what? What it comes down to is the Giants are going to rue that day. In week 16, if that's if Chase Young turns out to be what everyone thinks he is and sacking the quarterback and sacking Daniel Jones left and right throughout his career. It's week 16 last year. Loser got the number two pick. That was going to be how it played out. And guess what?
2: The Giants won. <laughs> oh, I love those. I absolutely love those. And they those. lost on yep. Chase
1: Young. Yep. yep. That is the best. One of those where the fans are in the dilemma of, I I, I really want them to lose. They need to lose. They need to lose. (laughs) Well, in this case, if you really wanted Chase Young, they needed to lose.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's amazing. And now I'm going to be watching that forever. Uh, It's like when, I don't know if you ever heard this one, but this is one of my favorites, that the Seattle Mariners, all they needed to do was lose in game 162 to the Oakland A's, and they would get Steven Strasburg, and they won. (laughs) that's all all you need to do you could have had your entire 40-man roster all AAA guys they played to win and they lost out on Steven Strasburg I don't know who they in
1: baseball you rarely look at that either because the the baseball draft is like nobody thinks about the baseball draft actually I think it might have been
2: I think it might have been Dustin Ackley who they ended up with instead, but I'm not 100% sure. But like some some huge bust instead, (laughs) yeah. So those are always the best. Well, Jordan, we will definitely catch up with you again along the way. This was lots of fun. Make sure you are staying safe, sir, and have a fun draft night.
1: Sure, you got it. And Winfield at 36, not... Completely unheard of to the Giants. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be
2: surprised if that happened. We would endorse uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Great player, I think. So uh, Jordan, yeah, great good. to catch up. You're going to make it to 36, though. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question because everybody that we've had on the show to talk about it is like the guy's stock has just been rising and rising. And Kuiper has him as a first, so it's hard to tell. But he's a little short and has had some injuries, so that might hurt him.
1: yes yeah, so it's right in that range, so it'll be close. Uh, you do need plenty of defensive Enjoy. players there. <laughs> Absolutely. Anybody, anybody. (laughs)
2: Exactly. All right, take care, Jordan.
1: All right, guys, have a good one.
2: Jordan, Ron on there. Um, The thing about not saying players' names is just delicious. I mean, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, seriously, like you have your first shot where you've worked for a really long time as a head coach and you decide that you're going to be some VHS version of Bill Belichick <laughs> like that's you're going to be a Bill Belichick cover band. Is that what you want to be? How is that worked out for anyone? Do you really think that this clown act is going to work out with real NFL players where you won't say their name and say, oh, no, nobody's got a job on this squad? I mean, that's for peewee garbage. I don't even think Bill Belichick would ever do that. Like, Bill Belichick wouldn't say, you know, Brian Hoyer's got as good of a chance as Brady is starting this year, right? I mean, that's just for preposterous. I don't
0: even think it's a college football thing. I don't think Nick Saban was doing that. I mean, you can argue with the Jalen Hurts and Tua thing, but he knows what he has, and yeah, he can cut you and he can replace you uh, with other five stars on the roster, but I don't even think that shtick, if you want to call it that, is something that plays out at, this, at the biggest college football programs. I just no. think it's idiotic. Like, look, we all pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. There's another one of those synonyms that yeah. you and I hate, yep. uh, or one of the, what What do you call it, Um not, we had a syn- I was talking about synonym, but now I can't... Colloquialism? I don't know. Yeah, it's just a yeah, yeah. dumb term. Um,
2: dumb term is also right.
0: I mean, it's just like... Can we stop doing this already? Can we stop well, trying would- to pretend that like... We have to go this route and earn our stripes, or whatever other nonsense terminology. I don't. I'm going to go look at this during the break because it's going to drive me nuts when I can't figure out the word I'm looking for. I mean,
2: also, like, what year is it? Like, who, who exactly do you think you're trying to pretend to be if you're Joe Judge by pulling garbage like this? It's one of those things where the minute that Matt Patricia had people running wind sprints in OTAs or something, he was like, okay, that's not going to work. I really believe
0: that we saw that happen after. uh, Dan Bailey missed a few field goals to end practice. Uh, yes, uh, they, claimed, they
2: claimed that that was all uh, pre-prepared uh, mm-hmm. for them. So I don't know. You know,
0: I run suicides, too. I mean, those are pre-prepared for me.
2: Yeah, uh, only to after you myself. have a typo on yes. Twitter if you send out a tweet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just it's so obvious from the beginning that you better learn quick that that garbage doesn't really work. And even some of this, I'm going to be a big tough guy for Mike Zimmer has gotten him in trouble before. Comments that he's made, like about Sharif Floyd and things like that, like they didn't go over well in the locker room. And by the end of the 2016 season, calling his offensive line soft, like he had to learn that that stuff doesn't exactly go over well with grown men and professionals. And I I remember Joe Thomas on his podcast was talking about playing for Mangini. And he used to have players memorize sayings around the building. Like, you know how they have quotes up and different things around the facilities. And so he would call someone out in a meeting and say, like, what does the quote in the foyer say or something? And the guy, I don't know. And then then rip them apart. And you're thinking, like, Joe Thomas is a... Hall of Fame football player and a grown up with four kids or something. You're really making him memorize little nursery rhymes that you put up. Like you think that the, you think those make any damn difference to professional players? You fools! I just like it's <laughs> it's astonishing sometimes who these guys think they are. And then you know it just made me feel great that the Super Bowl champion is Andy Reid. You know the guy who just takes a completely different approach. And you look at his tree as opposed to the Belichick tree, and it's much more impressive for people who have been brought in through the Andy Reid style as opposed to everybody trying to be a a Belichick cover band. And the other problem with that, too, is I'm sure Bill Belichick is a genius. I'm not denying that at all. But quarterback, everyone, quarterback, that's how you do it. You don't do it by not saying Daniel Jones' name. You well, do it by your quarterback is great and makes all this garbage look like it means something.
0: Well, it's interesting because no one's saying this about Brian Flores. He didn't go down to Miami and it's try true, to yeah. bring the bring the Bill Belichick system. I mean, you can see what happens when you try to mimic the Patriot way. It's currently happening in a team during in a team in the AFC South and that's going to go very very poorly, I believe. Uh it's not good right now and it's only getting worse. I don't know why these guys can't just like, move on from Belichick and be their own person and try to establish their own culture. Have they been that brainwashed by no. the Patriot way that they think that it's like the only way to do things?
2: So this is an interesting question because I was reading something about the Houston Rockets and their draft and scouting process and how they try to eliminate biases. And one of the things that they found was that scouts who had been former players routinely looked for guys who were like them. So if you are a 6 foot 7 small forward who had great athleticism, then they would love every 6 foot 7 small forward with great athleticism because it reminded them of themselves. And I think that there's something to that with coaches that you hire and coaching trees and things like that. And it might even go for Mike Zimmer. Like who does he get along with? Like he gets along with, you know, Gary Kubiak, who's the the old school type of guy, and now you bring in Dom Capers like, you know, I mean that that might just work better for him than someone like John D. Filippo. I don't know, but you know, I think the same thing with Andy Reid is not going to hire someone like Bill Belichick on his staff. He's going to hire someone who has a much different approach. I think. I think that's why. And on the whole, the Andy Reid guys have more success because they're not lunatics and will acknowledge who their quarterback is. This, it's going to be interesting to see if any of that changes. but it's. Uh,
0: I mean, are, those, are those the guys who would tell you, standing up in the meeting, play for the name on the front of the jersey versus playing for the name on the back of it? Because I uh, definitely course, think yeah. they would use that. Right.
2: Guys, you know what? It's <laughs> almost like these are people who, when they were little kids, their dad told them things about football, and they just like stuck with those things forever. Like They didn't advance at all. Even if they learned X's and O's, their basics about football didn't advance or change. And who have also no interpersonal skills whatsoever, which I grown think is man's really game. huge. It's grown so, man's
0: game.
2: Anyway, um, fun making fun of former Belichick coaches. And we will take a break. We'll return with some hot routes. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, the routes. They will be hot when we come back here on Purple Daily.
3: We know you're spending more time at home during COVID 19, and we've got your back. Join Score North three different ways while you stay at home the free Score North app on your phone or tablet, ScoreNorth.com, or just by saying Alexa, open Score North.
1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily.
3: Has questions.
1: Blue fifty eight, go.
3: And he wants your answers.
2: Street, red, 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 red poly, blue poncho.
3: In rapid fire
1: fashion.
2: Gun flex right stack. Three ninety four dragon smoke.
1: It's hot routes on Purple Daily. 580!
2: 397 Oh. Okay, it is that time in our lives again where we look at some of the headlines in this football world and we turn them into questions for Jonathan and Courtney. And uh, let's just get get it going here, Jonathan, and start with something Giants-related. Had a, a fun time talking with uh, Jordan Ronan about their ridiculous coach and how they need to draft everything. Um, Boy, of all the teams in the league, this is not a hot route, but I'm just asking you, Courtney, of all the teams in the league that you think just have no chance anytime soon, like the Giants are at the top of that list, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, as Jordan mentioned, they're still in rebuild mode. I don't think they've been out of rebuild mode for the last five years. <laughs>
2: yeah. Ever no, since right. Super
0: Bowl year, that's it.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, they got to the playoffs the one year that Beckham did the boat thing, and they were immediately eliminated and then have not been relevant since. So let's start off with a connection there to Eli Manning. He is auctioning off his Super Bowl MVP car for coronavirus relief, which is the ultimate humble brag. Right? Like, oh, just, you know, just do this for everybody here in America and auction off my Super Bowl MVP car. So here you go. Uh, And he said he would even drive it to your house. But then, you know, you have to wipe it down and everything. Um, I just, you know, he wins two Super Bowl MVPs, and it was great to see Brady get beaten. Um, What is your favorite individual Super Bowl performance ever?
0: Well, I have a question. He's raffling off a car that is eight years old. I assume it's the 2012 one, right? Who yep. wants a car that's eight years old?
2: I mean, what kind of car is it, though?
0: Yeah, is it is it a Kia? Because that's I, I, I know that that's what they a Kia. give out. Is well, it that's a what Kia? they give out to the? That's what they give out to the guys in the NBA when they win the dunk contest. It's typically a Kia. Still, so it's, it's for Griffin charity. Had.
2: I mean, if somebody said I was going to raffle off, you know, me How singing, you singing you the Star Spangled ah, Banner, people would still donate to it just for charity.
0: I mean, what are you going to get? It's like ten thousand dollars for this? Yeah, it's, it's a Corvette hater. An eight-year-old Corvette? Okay, sorry. I- I'm totally wrecking the point. I'm Man, being awful. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> one sorry. One of the
2: biggest haters alive. lot. Well, I just
0: thought back to it because I know <laughs> he's won the award twice, and I'm like, is it the 08 car? Is it the 12 car? Are we talking about, like, a it sports car? Or-
3: it's
2: to yes, help it does. people.
0: Okay, it's fine, but I-, I realize I'm being a Grinch. Anyways, um... My favorite play, and we actually got to talk with this player during Super Bowl week, which I thought was awesome, um, Mike Jones. Obviously, you guys remember what Kurt Warner did in Super Bowl thirty-four. Uh, Super Bowl record, 414 yards, passing, two touchdowns. But had it not been for Mike Jones staving off that late charge by the Titans, we may never have seen the greatest show on turf win a, win a ring. Hmm. So um, the play happened, I think it was the final play of the game. Uh, Jones tackled Kevin Dyson at the one yard line. I mean, yep. you, you guys have all seen this play mm-hmm. a million times, oh, yeah. but I feel like of the top Super Bowl MVP performances, um, I would go. And this is—I mean, this is not MVP performance, but it's one of my favorite performances ever. This is the one that I'm going to go with. It's a little lesser known, yeah. Uh, and Kurt Warner did overshadow just because he had an amazing game in Super Bowl 34, but. Uh, Tennessee was rallying back from a 16-0 deficit and they were keeping it close so had it not been for that it might have been a different outcome.
2: That is a great pick uh because it's never talked about who actually tackled him. Um
3: but you like you said you always see the highlight. How about you Jonathan? Um, mine this one came in a loss. It was Terrell Owens playing a month after he broke his leg yes. and putting up a stat line of nine catches with 122 yards. It's it it was incredible watching a guy who just broke his leg a month ago didn't play, I believe, in the playoffs, and then come back for the Super Bowl and put up that stat line, even though it was in a loss. Yeah, no, that's a good selection. Um, T.O.
2: got so much criticism from the Hall of Fame voters about what kind of teammate he was and all those sorts of things. But um, that performance, if you ever questioned him as a player, uh, said everything you needed to know about whether you wanted him on your team. I am going to go with Doug Williams' 1987 18 for 29, 340 yards, four touchdowns, 127.9 rating, and the first black quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. Can you imagine the amount of pressure because of the storyline that he was the the first black quarterback in -hmm. the Super Bowl? Can you imagine the amount of pressure he felt going into that, as if he had to prove himself to the world all over again, even though he had had a long career, um, even though you know, it was somewhat of a rocky one, and he had been a backup at times in Washington, and comes out and puts on this magical, magical performance in 1988 Super Bowl. So uh, I'm going to go with Doug Williams. There's a few more that are really great. You know, Steve Young tried so hard. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, in NFL history. Tried so hard and lost to Dallas so many times. He finally gets there and just runs the San Diego Chargers out of the building in 1995. That was really fun, too. And recently, I mean, you hate this one, but I mean, the Nick Foles story is really great. Vikings fans, I'm sure, have about the most bitterness you could have. But for a backup journeyman quarterback... Who is thinking about being retired to come back and outduel Tom Brady is truly incredible.
0: Absolutely, I don't think that that should. I don't think Vikings fans or anybody who played Philly that season should be bitter about the Nick Foles story. It's like the epic, all-American comeback tale. And What's how, not to love about that? And the way caught a pass in the Super Bowl—that's pretty dope.
2: The also the amount that I've thought about Patrick Mahomes' fourth quarter in this last Super sure. Bowl. It might be my favorite Super Bowl ever.
0: It was just so fun. It was so fun to watch him because he made it look so effortless. But he makes every game look effortless. And I don't know if we can... I don't know if it's just in the context of history that we don't talk about that yet as one of the greatest ever. Probably because it wasn't Nick Foles asking mean, Mahomes was Mahomes from the beginning Mm -hmm. of last season to the end of last season. Um
2: it's still a pretty good one. The reason why I love it so much for Patrick Mahomes is because for three quarters he got just demolished. I mean, the, the 49ers defensive line was annihilating the offensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's getting hit, he's getting picked off, he's struggling, or he's throwing interceptable passes, which he never does, and it just looks... Bad it looks like it 's over for him, and yet he never stopped coming at their defense and eventually broke them and I, I love that about it when it's not it 's not somebody coming out and just lighting up the other team and it 's over. It's a lot that he had to go through to win that. So I I really enjoyed that performance. Uh, Miles Sanders said that he wants to be like Christian McCaffrey. Same. I would also like to be like Christian McCaffrey. Um, Of course, uh, McCaffrey's putting his name among the all-around, best all-around running backs of all time. I want you to give me your top three favorite all-around, do-it-all running backs.
0: I think Barry Sanders is the obvious one. I don't really need to go into that. Um, I think he's the greatest running back of all time, if you're asking me. I mean, that just everything he did as a complete back, um, a Pro Bowl in every single year for 10 straight seasons, just, just I don't have anything else left to say. My number two is Thurman Thomas, and I know that he's always kind of been on the cusp of being like, is he one of the greatest running backs of all time? I mean, he put in a really good career with Buffalo, Twelve thousand yep. rushing yards, sixty-five touchdowns, forty-five hundred near forty-five hundred receiving yards, nine point four yards per catch.
2: Yes, Pretty, four straight man. years of leading uh, all-purpose yards.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, he's my number two, and now just LT has got to be my mm-hmm. number three. One of the three rushers ever to have a hundred catches in the season. Just complete back at a time where. They were kind of transitioning into this area into this era where they're more involved in the passing game, at least on a more consistent basis and in, in what they're being asked to do. And I mean he's always been one of my favorite, most electric running backs to watch. I definitely loved that part of my NFL fandom.
3: Jonathan. LT and Barry Sanders were both on my list. The one that wasn't on your list, Courtney, is Marshall Falk. He was along though he was along the lines of the guys who could do everything dual threat there. For five straight seasons in the passing game, he was targeted over 100 times, which is kind of crazy for a running back in the early 2000s. And he did it, and he helped transform that St. Louis offense into the greatest show on turf.
2: So uh, I don't disagree with any of your guys' selections, but I'll just go different here because you picked a lot of ones that made a ton of sense. Um, How about Walter Payton? Uh, he is third all-time in terms of yards from scrimmage, only behind Jerry Rice and Emmitt Smith. I mean, Emmitt Smith was more of a screen pass type of guy. Ladanian Thompson's a great pick. But Marcus Allen belongs in this conversation, too. A guy that was so hated by his owner mm-hmm. that he was forced to play fullback for several years and took on that role and then went to Kansas City and extended his career by quite a bit. And I'll throw out another one. Uh, somebody that I always really enjoyed playing and I don't think gets enough credit for the all time great running backs is work done. Undersized guy, but carried two different teams as their starting running back and very much a do it all type of guy. So a lot of uh, all time great do it all running backs. But, uh, you know, my favorite is, of course, Thurman Thomas. Um, you know he's a I guy. figured
0: I stole yours. Well, the,
2: the thing about Thurman Thomas is that he could play wide receiver. Like he oh, would yeah. all the time line up as a slot receiver. He would run go routes and make plays thirty yards down the field. Like yeah, you said, okay. about averaging ten yards a catch at that point is preposterous for a running back, and he probably isn't given his due. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr. said that he wants to keep playing. Uh, he has been an okay NFL player, of course. But in his college career, we all thought Ted Ginn was going to just change the NFL because he was so explosive and exciting at Ohio State. I want you guys to give me the most fun college player who did not work out in the NFL. So man, were they entertaining in college? And everybody thought, oh, it's going to be great. And then, you know, it kind of petered out.
0: I know some people will disagree with me here and say that he did work out in the NFL. But I don't... I mean, I look at Reggie Bush as the most exciting electric college football player that I ever watched. Um, That 06 USC team was Mm -hmm. so much fun. I mean, still, I I think ESPN just replayed the Texas-USC National Championship game. I've never had more fun watching a college football game. Like, in my teens... And, you know, really starting to understand the sport and understand what that team meant to the landscape of college football. I mean, I still uh, think back to how good that team was and just how much talent they had and how much all of that talent, Lendell White, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, none of it panned out in the NFL. Um, It was weird, because don't you remember last year when the Saints inducted him into their Hall of Fame? Like... I remember thinking that
2: is so weird to me. Yeah, yeah. because like, he's just re- he, he, really he was a, a good guy. not great career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a guy. It is crazy that Reggie Bush had the same career as someone like I don't know Dion Lewis or something. Yeah. You know, like one of these random scatbacks who you know, caught a lot of passes and had some moments, but was never really a great, truly great game-changing player. Um, it is surprising, remember how much Houston got criticized for taking Mario Williams and not Reggie Bush, but turns out that they were actually right
0: no, absolutely, and I you know he, he it 's sad to me how his career took a turn. Like after he left the Saints in ten I and mean, he just bounced around. He was a guy. Yeah. Like, and he, Detroit, his, he actually right? he kinda of resurrected his career, if I remember correctly, with Miami just a little bit. But yeah, Detroit, San Francisco for a hot second, and he finished his career in sixteen with the Bills. Um to me, yes, he won a Super Bowl, but it did he I mean, he was a part of that. He wasn't like the reason yep. he won the Super Bowl yep. uh with the Saints. So I mean, I look at that as He will always be one of my favorite college football players. That tremendous Heisman season he had in 2005, Um, he's one of the greatest ever. And it's time for USC. I mean, this is a totally different tangent, but I would really like to see USC put all of that nonsense behind him and welcome him back.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know why it's taking this long. Why don't it's we been just more put than... all of it behind us in terms of taking away people's championships and stuff like that? I mean, oh, it's, just, sure. it's just senseless at this point.
0: But, I mean, but the fact is they haven't reconciled it yet, which, I mean, he's the greatest college football player, arguably, of this generation, but certainly one of the greatest ever to pl- to put that uniform on at USC. And the way that they did him, I just can't get behind that.
2: Jonathan,
3: most exciting college player who just didn't really work out in the NFL. Reggie Bush was at the top of my list. The other guy at the top of my list is the other the winning quarterback of that Rose Bowl game, Courtney mentioned. Vince Young. I mean, he had yeah. he had nine point he averaged nine point three yards in attempt his his junior year, the year they won the Rose Bowl, throwing for, th- for throwing for three thousand yards and then rushing for another thousand and twelve touchdowns there in his junior year, his final season in college. It just didn't work out in the NFL for him, but man, he was really fun to watch down at Texas in the in college.
2: Yeah, you just wish that Vince Young had been a little bit smarter and then a little bit more well-adjusted because far less talented players by a thousand miles have been successful in the NFL just because they were brighter or they took it more seriously or Mm -hmm. didn't think that their athleticism could do everything. But it's almost a testament to his athleticism that he could still have a winning record in the NFL as a starting quarterback uh, despite being bad at many other elements, including even accuracy. He was not a very accurate quarterback. I'm going to go with Ron Dane. My gosh, was it fun to watch Ron Dane. I remember getting mad in 2001 and creating Ron Dane because I was so excited about this monstrous mountain of a human being who was crazy fast. And he got to the NFL and he was just bad. He just, he just, he just couldn't, couldn't do much. Uh, he was too... Too giant, I guess. Easy to get their hands on. So, unfortunately, Ron Dane did not work out. But my gosh, he was entertaining. Uh, Jared Goff said that he is confident in the replacements on the Rams' offense for Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley. Um, you know, I did. Th- Where are they? I did think about right. I did think about saying like, give me something you're confident in, but you're actually not. Uh, but that's not the question. <laughs> How many playoff wins will Jared Goff have by the year 2025?
0: So he's got what, three right now. Yep. I'd say probably by the end of twenty five, if he's still on the Rams at that point, um, probably like eight or nine. I think I say it'll it might double, but just slightly.
2: I don't know what they're going to do. Eight or nine by two thousand twenty five. So he's got, he's got three right you now. You think he's right? going to be pretty successful then?
0: Well, I think that they obviously have to address the receiver position, but that's five years away. So you think, let's say they win two—I don't think they're going to contend this year, but let's say like next year, when things finally get sorted out a little bit more than they are. You win two games there. Two years from now, you win two games there. That's eight right there.
2: So how many did you say he already has?
0: He has three, I believe. Okay. 17, they lost to the, to the Falcons. And then in 18, they beat Dallas, New Orleans. So, that so he has give- two. He has two. Correct.
2: Okay, so, so he's
0: two. He's two and two right now. I did the math around there. Shocking. Um, I'll lower it. I'll well, say seven by the time that two thousand
2: oh, do you 25. mean twenty oh, five? Total, total total for his career. Yeah, okay, for his career. I yes. thought you meant seven more. That... No,
0: no, no, no. Okay, five, uh, five then. Five more.
2: Okay, all right. Which
0: actually, maybe that's even too high because it might
2: think... be. That, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is like, is he going to wash out of the league here, or is he going to Bounce back with this roster and McVeigh, and, and win a lot of
3: playoff games. I
0: just I I don't know what the roster was going to look like because right now it's Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. That's it. Right. And Malcolm Brown is your running back. So good luck.
2: Let me give you some context for playoff wins by a quarterback for career. Brady is obviously number one with thirty. And here's what makes him the best quarterback ever: is that the next best guy has 16. <laughs> 14 more playoff wins than the next best guy. Uh, you have Mont- Montana with sixteen, Bradshaw, Elway, Manning with fourteen playoff wins. So, um, that he would if he got to nine or ten, he would put himself in the range of Aaron Rodgers, Kurt Warner, Russell Wilson, Donovan McNabb, Jim Kelly.
0: Won't yes. be that far. So let's let's say seven, seven total for his career is the absolute ceiling, but it will probably end up being five for his career. I mean, if you think about it, five more years. Is there a guarantee that he's still in the league at 2025? I well, do that, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is he still is starting a, quarterback?
2: You could see this one going either
3: way, which is kind of why it's a hot route question. What do you think, Jonathan? I'm way less optimistic about Jared Goff's chances, or the Rams' chances in that, for that matter, winning in any playoff games for the foreseeable future, just because they don't have a, any more first-round draft picks for, I think, five more years. <laughs> They got rid of them all to, <laughs> go, to go Super Bowl or bust, and that went bust real quick for them. They've got no cap space. I just don't... And the rest of that division, the Seahawks are good. The 49ers are really good. The Cardinals look like they're coming up. I don't know that they're going to make the playoffs that often. I'll give him one, but I'm even shaky on that. My career playoff wins is really wild to look at through the
2: lens of Brady. People who we think were the greatest have, like, six. You know, I mean, <laughs> Fran Tarkenton has six and is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Johnny Unitas has six. Anyway, Dan Marino only had eight for as great <laughs> as he was. And uh, the same thing goes for Steve Young and Drew Brees. Eight playoff wins. I'm going to say it's zero. I don't think that Jared Goff wins another playoff game with the Los Angeles Rams. This could be old takes exposed, but I think he's a good quarterback. Only when he has everything going on around him, and after a very poor 2020 and maybe 2021 season, we're going to see him land somewhere else and then maybe have like a Kerry Collins career where there's early success and then there's a big dip, and then he comes back with a really strong team and has more success. But I just.
0: Is that going to be more of an indictment, though, the next two years you're saying on Sean McVeigh? Not being able to. to boy wonder genius scheme himself into another good season what I like think, he did in 2018
2: yeah what i think it's going to tell us is just how amazing those teams were from top to bottom and how you know yes mcveigh was ahead of the curve but you can only stay ahead of the curve for so long like chip kelly came in and was unbelievable at first and then everybody started to figure out some of the things he was doing and limitations at quarterback ended up costing him his job um Final hot routes question, and then I have the weirdest tweet I've ever seen from an NFL player that I have to read you. Okay. Uh, Packers Hall of Famer Willie Davis passed away at the age eighty five. Uh, who is the old school team that you wish you could have been around to see?
0: Probably the eighty five Bears. A good, I mean, there was, good one. Fi- was five years. Yeah, I mean, five years before I was born. Um, I just remember being a kid. But I guess probably my first early memories when i was like five or six so about 10 years past that super bowl they were still celebrating it in the city and if you haven't seen the 30 for 30 on the bears and just the amount of dysfunction (laughs) on that team especially among the coaching staff um it is truly a remarkable story i mean they had some meatheads on that team um Several of them actually still work in Chicago radio, which I always enjoy going on with Mongo on ESPN 1000. Uh, but no, I mean, it is, that, that is one of my favorite teams to read about, favorite teams to hear people from Chicago. I mean, my dad and my mom, uh, I think it was a couple of years after they were married and the night that they won – the Super Bowl. They were driving somewhere, either somewhere back in the city, they're coming from a Super Bowl party, and someone jumped over the hood of my dad's car, uh, celebrating in the streets. So, Chicago people love their Super Bowl team, their one Super Bowl team, and uh, I mean, people here still talk about it. So, I would have loved to have been alive and like cognizant and able to witness that growing up.
3: Jonathan, yeah, for me, eighty-five Bears near the top of the list, but any team that had Montana and Rice on it, any one of those 49ers teams, just the two greatest at their position, or right up there is one of the greatest at their position, on the same team dominating the NFL for a couple years, that would have been fun to watch. I am going to go with
2: the Raiders at any point that John Madden was coaching them, and they were eating glass and murdering people. (laughs)
0: So the L.A. Raiders.
2: Yeah, the, the old Los Angeles Raiders. I would have loved to have seen... Even beyond the uh, John Madden Raiders, I would have loved to have seen the Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen Raiders. And Bo Jackson in his prime just running over everybody would have been super fun to see, but uh, even though I was alive, I was too young to remember Bo Jackson at his prime. Uh, the weirdest tweet I've ever seen from an NFL player or former NFL player comes from Benny Cunningham. You guys remember Benny Cunningham I do. sort of a scatback type of guy. He tweeted this and has not deleted it yet, which is really wild. The NFL is scripted, but they make us sign something so we can't go into detail. Tired of holding back. Who wants the whole story? I'm
0: looking for this tweet. You
2: okay, Benny? You have to go back quite a ways because he's quote tweeting and retweeting everything.
0: Because he probably doesn't want people to to see that tweet. (laughs) Man.
2: Is that true? Everybody okay? Yeah, I think it is. Definitely true. Huh. Are you... uh, Well, we always have to be conspiracy people, like with the Odell Beckham stuff or whatever else. Sure. But have you... Is that unequivocally false? Have you ever thought... It's categorically false, (laughs) is what I think. Um, Have you ever had the thought, though? Because this is my only NFL is scripted take, is that when a, a playoff game is happening and a team is down in the game, let's say two touchdowns, that you will see a weird call Whether it's a holding or a pass interference or something that cracks the door open for the other team almost every single time. If you can squeeze one more drive, one more game-winning drive out of a game, that you'll see a call. And even, I'm just throwing this out there, the Nikkel Roby-Coleman non-pass interference opens up the door for the Los Angeles Rams to stay alive in a game that would have otherwise been over to create more drama. I'm not saying it's on purpose. Maybe it's just a thing that happens like naturally from referees. They don't want to cost someone the game. Or, you know, they. I, I don't know. But that happens so often that you wonder, like,
0: hmm. I mean, the NFL literally created a rule to protect quarterbacks because they realize that the people are not watching Brett Hundley play the game. Like, I mean, they literally created a rule to keep their quarterbacks safe because they know that's their moneymaker. So if you want to call that a conspiracy, I could buy into yours.
2: Yeah. I mean, we know that they're going to do everything in their power to make it as entertaining and dramatic and wild as it possibly can be. But if it was scripted... We would not have seen the Seattle Seahawks demolish the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. We would not have had, what was it, a 6-3 to three Super Bowl or whatever the hell it was between the Patriots <laughs> and the Rams yeah. What was it, 10-3? to three? I, I don't know if they would have scripted it out that way. But that is um, something I didn't expect to see show up was uh, a former running back claiming that they signed something to not reveal how scripted the NFL is. So that's funny. All right, let's take a break, and when we return, an interesting comment from Andrew Brandt about Delvin Cook and his contract possibilities. That's when we come back here on Purple Daily.
3: In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. Jonathan here with the Score North. Download this download powered by PodMN over at scorenorth.com. We'll get to that, what we have over there in just a second. But first, we could all use a little help while quarantine And thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner Over at ScoreNorth.com right now, Matthew Collar and Eric Eager have partnered up for the basically the book on journeyman quarterback seasons. They're putting together the 20 greatest journeyman quarterback seasons of all time. They've got chapter two right now, labeling journeyman quarterback seasons 15 to 11 right now. So go check that out. Be sure to set aside quite a bit of time because I wasn't kidding when I said book. They didn't. Yeah, it's long. It's broken up into chapters. They threw out the word count. So we did, yes. But it's worth Uh, it because it's great. Each post
2: is probably like 5,000 words, and we had to break (laughs) it up into five different (laughs) sections to make it work. But it's fun. It is really fun. Our 20 greatest journeyman quarterback seasons. Go check that out. Okay. So uh, thank you. I'm sorry. Did I interrupt Jonathan? Was there anything else there? Nope, you're good. Okay. So um, earlier today on the station, Rami Makalov had on Andrew Brandt who used to work uh, for the Green Bay Packers in their front office and now writes columns for MMQB about the salary cap, football business, and so forth. And we asked Mr. Brandt about running back value and Delvin Cook, and here's what he said.
1: The one I'm very conflicted about is what you mentioned with Cook. I get it with McCaffrey. He is the franchise. He is, they've, they've lost Greg Olson, Luke Keekly, and Cam Newton. Some of that they've lost voluntarily. But he is the best player, the key guy in the community. They had to do it. But you got to be worried about the position, and it's
2: unfortunate.
1: It really is because for these players because their best earning years are in college where they're not paid, and their rookie deal where they're paid low. And teams have to be hesitant to sock all that money in, even at age 24, 25, because you got to look at the numbers. You, you, for all the outliers, like an Emmett Smith and a Curtis Martin, most running backs fall off a cliff in their late 20s. So that's a hard position to pay, and I really feel for them uh, because they're fighting against a real uh, a shelf life that's unfortunate more than any other position in football.
2: So, Courtney, there's two different conversations with the Delvin Cook contract extension. There's how much is a running back worth when you feel like you can replace them in the draft? It's a great point by Andrew Brandt that a lot of their best value seasons come while they're in college, and then they come out with a lot of mileage on them, especially because quarterbacks aren't that good in college, so they give the ball to the running back if he's good 300 times a year. That's part one, and uh, part two is not is he replaceable, but just like how much is it worth? You know, how much is it worth over someone else? And then there's the age curve. That's part of it as well is when you're factoring all this in with Delvin cook, the age curve is not the thing to be super scared about because he's
0: young. He's 24.
2: Right. And so let's say he's age 25 through 27 seasons. That's still in the peak of the age curve. It's really the other part, how replaceable Delvin cook is as a football player at his position. That one's harder to figure out.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you look at his 2019 season. He had an incredible year, despite missing two games because he got a banged-up shoulder, uh, which they wanted to rest him because they needed him in the playoffs. They didn't need him in two games that essentially didn't really count for anything because they'd already clinched for the playoffs at that point. Um, He's a hard one to figure out just simply because of the injury history before. Do the Vikings really believe that that will somehow affect Down the line. Like, will this stuff pop back up? He's shown that he's in, like, a different position than, like, a David Johnson um, who got the contract, who had been injured, got the big extension, and then was never the same player after that. Um, Cook has shown that he's only been better after being injured early in his career. But if we're looking at Christian McCaffrey and wondering, did he just set the bar for running backs again, having this incredibly high salary, the highest paid running back in NFL history, uh, following up on what Zeke inked last year, like are team's still going to go this route. I mean, I can understand Christian McCaffrey because he is the, the Panthers offense. They had absolutely nothing. And No matter if you think that they're in a rebuild or they don't know what the heck they're doing, they were going to pay him regardless, Um, which is kind of weird when you heard what David Tepper was saying this offseason and trying to put those comments into the context of what they just did. Sometimes it doesn't add up, but whatever. Um, for, For Cook's value, you have to ask yourself, Can they truly just go out and find that same skill set in the draft every single year and hit on it and expect it will be as good as the player that they have who's their bell cow? I don't know if they can. I don't like to, you know hedge all of my bets on the fact that oh they're just gonna be able to replace them. You get a new one every other year, you'll be fine. It's a two two running back system because I mean outside of him and Madison, the rest of the crop of, of dudes that they have haven't done anything. Amir Abdullah was supposed to be the change of pace guy. Uh he's not that and and Mike Boone hasn't really had the opportunity to be anything more than just, you know, a backup running back, the fourth one that they have on their roster. So in terms of Cook's value, I think it's tough to figure out how this is is going to manifest itself in terms of a contract, because when you look at the Vikings' offense, they need him. But do they need him enough to pay him what he wants? Which, at this point, we know what Christian McCaffrey got. Can can Cook get anywhere close to it? I I just don't know.
2: I think that uh, the answer is, yes, they need that type of production from the running back. But can they get it from someone else is a really hard one to figure out. Delvin Cook came in in 2017 and immediately blew away the other two running backs uh, on the team, but then he gets hurt, and they continue to still be a very good and versatile running team with Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon. And so the most success they've had as a team in the Mike Zimmer era was with Delvin Cook only playing four games. So that you might look at it and say, well, you know, you add somebody else, Uh, in his draft pick, and then Madison and Boone, and you rotate everybody in and you try to create what San Francisco had or what Kansas City had with the rotational back, but the problem with that is if one guy goes down, one more guy goes down, then... What do you do? If you're left with only Alexander Madison, who's much more of a bruiser as opposed to an all-around back like Delvin Cook, that's where it's risky. And if you're going for the draft, if we go through the draft history of running backs, there's certainly a lot who have stepped in right away. But then we forget about all the ones who didn't work out out. or were absolute garbage. And they just – I mean – Even Leonard Fournette has not been a good NFL player overall. He's had some moments, but he's not been a good NFL player. And he was thought to be the generational back, the next Adrian Peterson, the can't miss guy. So there is something worth knowing what you're getting in the backfield. And what you're getting is very hard to replace in terms of someone who can do it all and be special. um, Even when your offensive line is probably still not going to be that great.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, with, with someone like Fournette, too, I mean, you make that argument if they saw a generational talent. They saw somebody at LSU that they they did not feel like they would ever be able to replicate, so they went and got him, um, what was he, the fourth overall pick that draft, somewhere in the top five? Um, same can be said about Saquon Barkley, yet Saquon Barkley is what he is, and Leonard Fournette is what he is. What's the? Is there a reason for that? I don't know. I feel like that's the answer we keep searching for, of why some of these guys that you draft high, uh, like a Christian McCaffrey, like a Saquon, Leonard Fournette, um, and there and there's others too. I mean, obviously Kamara and Cook and, and some of those guys that are waiting to get paid or have not been, uh, were not first-round picks for that matter. But like, how, why do some pan out and why do some don't? Is it... Is it the the wear and tear? Is it the mileage that they already have on their body? I think all of that factors in. Yeah. And when you, when you decide you want to pay a player, I think it's worth noting, and especially for the case of Dalvin Cook, when you'd ex, when you would be extending him if you do it this off season, look at the mileage that he has on his body compared to where Christian McCaffrey was yep. uh, at this time when he was or extended, Todd Gurley, yeah, or Todd Gurley, um, or even David Johnson. I mean, just like or Ezekiel Elliott too. Like, look at all of the. Touches and the yardage and, and everything that you have to that they have statistically. I mean, that's statistically what they've racked up the last few years. And then look at Cook. In a way, the injury kind of helped preserve him in that sense because, as we've seen, he's just as explosive. It's not like he lost a step after tearing the ACL and with a hamstring injury. But beyond that, like, he has less wear and tear right now, which makes sense to extend him. I just. I think we're trying to figure out what that figure is, like because we know that this is the Vikings have to. They cannot run the risk of having him hold out because that's what's going to happen. It's a smart play for a running back, considering how short their window is to make an impact and get paid. Um, we know they're going to pay him, but is it gonna? Is he going to agree to a team friendly deal? I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, and you know, with uncertainty about how much the NFL is going to make in terms of uh, its cash for going forward, if they don't have fans in the stands and all those things, you would think that you'd want to get a contract done to make sure that you weren't holding out as things were even more uncertain everywhere else, that you would want to get a deal done as soon as you can. Well, that's not
0: not to say he hasn't been trying. I think it's more on the front office at this point. I think that they're ready. Him and his representation are ready to do it now and to try to get this done now. Yeah. Because... You're right. There is a lot of uncertainty, and that's why you've seen guys sign their franchise tender because we just don't know what's going to happen this year. I mean, yeah, most NFL contracts, I mean, there's always a part of it that's guaranteed, but being able to get a franchise tender and all of that guaranteed, guys who have signed those right now are smart, Um, which kind of just begs the question, of like, why is Anthony Harris not signed that yet? Anyway, it's another subject for another time. It would make all the sense in the world for Cook to hold out, but I also understand if he was not getting the figures that he thought he deserved and he thought he could get more. But then you run the risk, not just this year, but any other year of the Melvin Gordon situation, mm-hmm. where you end up coming back week six or whatever it was, and, and you're basically back at square one because nothing changed because they called your bluff and, and they won. And I don't think Cook wants to be in that situation. You look I don't think running backs can afford to ever be in that situation because time is of the essence. Yep,
2: yep. And you, right, you don't want to put yourself in one of those – Le'Veon Bell type of spots where you've sort of uh, dug your heels in to the point of sinking. <laughs> and uh, then you can't get a deal done and the team just says, forget you and we'll go find somebody else. And then the minute that they do, they get over you fast. The yeah. minute that James Conner comes in as a third round pick and is good, they're like, OK, well, didn't need you. Uh, it is weird with the draft. The uh, the one that Delvin Cook was in, 2017, has just nothing but stars at the running back position in almost every round. So Christian McCaffrey in the first, Delvin and Joe Mixon in the second, James Conner, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt in the third, uh, Tariq Cohen in the fourth, along with Jamal Williams, who's a good player. Marlon Mack is another star in the fourth. In the fifth is Aaron Jones. He's a star. Uh, there is not a big star in the sixth, but uh, in the seventh, Chris Carson, who's a good player for Seattle. So every round featured a good running back. And then you go to the very next year, and uh, Barkley is good, but Rashad Penny, not that good. Sony Michelle not that good. Chubb is a star, and almost nobody else is really good from that draft. And it's kind of you know unpredictable in every part of the draft, but I think running backs are especially unpredictable. So you couldn't say, oh, okay, uh, we're going to draft... Cam Akers and he's going to fill in, or DeAndre Swift and he's just going to take uh, Delvin's position. Plus, mm-hmm. you have so many other needs that if you're spending a, an asset on a first-round pick, you might as well just sign him anyway. All right? So there isn't a really good option there for that. Um, I had another question for you that is completely off of this subject.
0: Can I ask you one first? Yeah, go ahead. Who do you think of that 17 class gets paid next? Kamara, mm, uh, Cook, Mixon, or Fournette? I mean, obviously, Derrick hmm. Henry signed his um, his tender, so they've got to figure out if they're going to sign him to a long-term deal by July 15th, I believe. But let's just say for now, like, he doesn't count. Um, just based on those four names, who do you think is next?
3: Because hmm. I tend to, I
0: mean, the Camaro one's an interesting argument, especially based on the season that he had last year with the injury. Yeah. Like, to me, if he wasn't injured, it's, it's, I'm looking at this thing saying, absolutely, his usage in the passing game um, should make him a candidate for a huge deal. Yeah. But I just don't know based on, he has like one year left on the rookie deal and he only played about 59, 60% of snaps last year. Um, Again, you could be looking at that saying, hey, he doesn't have the mileage that somebody like McCaffrey who played 93% of Carolina's offensive snaps last year has. Um, And you can look at like the future and, and reduced wear and tear, things like that. But, you know... Do you do you re, do you think about the reward right now, or are you already worried about the risks? Risk two years out from now, because to me, it would go Cook. It would go in in the realistic world of what I thought it would be already would be Kamara Cook, um, probably Mixon, and then Fournette. Uh, but at this point, I think that Cook will probably end up getting it done before Kamara does. Yeah,
2: I I think so too. Uh, I still go back to the combine where I talked to some people who were pretty concerned about how the negotiations would go for Cook because people want to see him succeed, but it is a hard world for him. Cincinnati makes the most sense to pour a bunch of money on Joe Mixon because they've got it. Their quarterback is not getting paid much for a really long time. They know Joe Burrow's going to be their next quarterback for four years, so if you sign Mixon to a three-year or four-year contract extension, those things coincide where you can kind of spend like a drunken sailor and not have to worry that much about it um, until the, you know, let's say Joe Burrow's great. Then he's going to get a huge contract. Um, Kamara is interesting for that reason, too, though, because Drew Brees is going to be coming off the books next year. He is going to play next season and then retire and go work for NBC or whatever. And you can afford it. His impact on the passing game is a difference maker for me. The one that's hard is Aaron Jones was really the centerpiece of the Packers' offense last year. Are they yeah. not going to sign Aaron Jones when he was as explosive and as impressive as he was?
0: I mean, they have the resources to do it. I just, you know, what what's next for him? Um, are they going to spend on him or are they going to spend on a receiver? I don't think a receiver. I think that they can go to the draft and, and get yeah. all of that. Yep, I think they'll um, do it then. I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one, especially considering how good he was last year, considerably speaking in the, in the receiving game too when they didn't have a lot of receivers. Right, yeah, so, that he
2: sort of emerged as yeah. as being a major receiving option for them and really kind of what, driving what round their was he drafted success. in. He was a 6th rounder. 6th rounder, okay. Yep. Yeah, the running back is definitely the position where you are most likely to be a 4th rounder, 3rd rounder and be great, I think, but how long you're great for is a much different conversation, I think. Um, Here's what I wanted to ask you before we wrap up the show. So the Jordan thing, they're they're rolling it out. Last dance, Sunday Sunday night, 8 p.m. Central Time. And, I mean, the whole world is excited for this. Here's what's crazy about Michael Jordan to me, and I'll relate this to football, is that he has been the largest public figure in pro sports for well, well after he's been retired. And yet, you still feel like... There are many parts of Michael Jordan that we don't know, that you can watch something on him and learn so much. Sort of like the O.J. documentary where I thought that I had a pretty good feeling for O.J., and then they just told me so much more that I never would have understood. Is there a football version, not in terms of necessarily performance, but intrigue, of someone who will just never stop being interesting, no matter the article, no matter the documentary, whatever it is that we will crave to learn more about, like we do with Michael Jordan.
0: I mean, this is probably a smaller scale thing. I mean, would you throw Michael Vick in that category? And I'm just thinking that because mm. it's recent for me with the thirty, the two-part 30 for 30 that they did on him. I learned so much more about him there than that I just didn't know. Um, from like the Virginia Tech days, and you know, even those early seasons with the Falcons, like that, I just was like, wait, did I re- did I know that? Did I remember that from like when he was coming up? And you know, a lot of the people that they had, the voices in there talking about, um, you know, those early years that he had in the NFL, I was like, yeah. whoa, that's probably, oh man, because I mean, I don't think Brady's ever going to stop being interesting because we always talk about our quarterbacks in the NFL after they retire and, and they have tons of Super Bowl rings and MVPs and they become these legends, we find out more about them, kind of like with Joe Namath. I mean, think about how much, we talk, how much more we talk about him probably now than we would have any other quarterback at that point well beyond his, the time his career ended. I mean, yeah. he's just such an interesting character. He's kind of an enigma. Um, is there anybody else?
2: I don't know if I find Tom Brady that compelling. Like, he, even his long interview with uh, Howard Stern, there's a lot of just, like, Tom Brady's kind of a boring guy. I mean, he, he, just,
0: you know. But we're, but we're interested. We stay intrigued. we, yeah, stay, we I do Because he, he kind of has this level of mystery to him. I think the does whole he, thing.
2: Does he? I don't, yeah. I don't, maybe that's who, different. Who
0: is the real guy? I mean, I feel like for the first time ever, we've been able to see his true colors and what makes him tick this season because he was a robot in New England. yeah. And not saying that he, like, had no personality, because I think he certainly does, um, but to kind of hear him take his career into his own hands at this point um, and what he is still seeking, whether you believe the whole thing of I don't, like, care about my legacy or not, it's nice to be able to peel back the curtain and be like, oh, there is a human being in there. The thing with Michael Jordan is you never know, is there really a human being (laughs) in there? Like, is he a robot? And, you know... Growing up in Chicago during the '90s, and you know, being cognizant for for those championship teams, the part that I'm looking forward to the most with the Last Dance is all of the BS that was going on behind the <laughs> scenes. And I heard Michael Jordan was a jerk to deal with. If you were a media, if you were in the media in Chicago at that time, he was apparently like just a pain in the butt to deal mm-hmm. with, um, and, and not a nice guy for for by and large. And now, obviously, we know him as you know. If you were growing up in the 90s, I don't and if you were a kid, you obviously weren't paying attention to that part. you know him as this iconic Hollywood superstar in that sense and I think Tom Brady kind of carries that vibe too, but I'm most interested in figuring out the backstory to a lot of games that still have a lot of mystery. once and for all, everybody's gonna know the backstory, I believe of flu game and, and if you know if he was really sick or not, <laughs> I, I'm very excited to kind of bring generations together. Or at least generations can kind of come together and enjoy that part of it, because the, there's so many iconic games associated with him that I just don't know if we ever really got the full story on it yet.
2: Yeah, uh, and there
0: will be that for Brady too. Like I just I don't know. I keep deviating to Brady. I keep thinking about, well, what about Deflategate? We don't really. I mean, he got fed to the wolves there by the Patriots, and they made him handle the whole thing on on his own. But if there's ever something that comes out on him, like the backstory, to that's what I'm interested in. You no, know, suspension.
2: I think with Brady, it's more obvious sort of what his driving forces were to be as you know competitive as he was, and it just never really had this uh, lore to it with him. Maybe it was because Tom Brady's skills were being really smart, getting rid of the ball quickly, you know, making some big throws at big times, and that isn't like. I, it isn't as compelling as someone like Jordan, who just had this otherworldly ability to do anything on earth, and that's why when you brought up Vic, he's more fascinating to me because he had this athletic ability that was just on another planet. And when then he was the through. only
0: one doing what he did at the time, too,
2: right, right, exactly. Like, yeah. in, ter-
0: like in terms of like on the field stuff, right. like he was an enigma.
2: And then, I mean, went through something just totally uh, unexpected, Michael Vick, and that was, you know, deplorable, obviously, and has come out on the other side of that, which makes him an intriguing character, too. The name that came to mind for me was Randy Moss, where even though there is a 30 for 30 on Randy Moss, which if you haven't seen it, you have to see it because you so much better understand uh, the ups and downs of his career and what he went through early in life and how that impacted him. But if they did another Randy Moss documentary, I would watch it in a second. If they did 10 hours of Randy Moss, I would watch it because of what an intriguing character he is from being all-time gifted, breaking the NFL essentially, and also being a really diligent and hard worker and smart player too and like his football intelligence was absolutely through the roof because there have been a lot of other guys who are fast and tall who haven't Mm -hmm. become anything close to what Randy Moss is and uh, even Bill Belichick on that 100 countdown talking about how no player challenged him more as an NFL coach in terms of intellectually than Randy Moss as a receiver Um, those are the things that I still feel like we don't have a full entire grip on and Jordan we we just don't in terms of behind the scenes he's so closed off that we don't have a full grip on even who he is as a person beyond the ice cold killer that he was with the Chicago Bulls, and so I I think that that puts you know it puts him at the top of the all time most intriguing and fun to watch players, which is why you know I'm really excited to watch this thing.
0: Well, and and I'll say from like a t- totally different sport too. I mean Maya Moore. Uh, and everything that she's gone through the last few years, and like stepping away from basketball, um, that's one that I'm going to be really interested to find out her story because she's very like we don't. There's a lot of mystery to her yeah, too. Yeah, she's, like I she's think very that,
2: closed off. Yep. And,
0: and and if she's going to even return to basketball at this point, right? Like I I would be willing to uh, invest a lot of time in, in watching something on somebody who stepped away from the game at the pinnacle for themselves. Yeah. I always find that there's when those higher calling or, you know, alleged higher calling uh, causes that drive people away from sports, those are always fascinating to me because finding out how, what makes people tick and especially Jordan and maybe it was just a product of the 90s that we just didn't have as much exposure to him even though he was the number one athlete probably searched ever. If there was some way to categorize Google searches in the mid 90s, um, he was everywhere. But he was everywhere, but we really didn't know him. So that's why I'm excited to watch it. Relive my childhood a little bit.
2: Courtney Cronin, uh, we will see you again on Tuesday. And it is going I'll to be... I'll see you tomorrow. Be... Oh, wait. Uh, what's today? Are you Today's on, Thursday. I see you. I'm see. i on tomorrow 3 oh, to 4. Right. Okay, all right. Well, we'll have fun tomorrow then. I forgot that uh, we have... Pushed you to the max here uh, for to get ready for the draft. All right, well, we'll see you tomorrow him then, away at 3 o'clock as well as Myron Metcalf. Yes, draft sim, everyone, and stay safe. We'll be back tomorrow here on Purple Daily.
0: This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you.